Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So this happened when I was 15 and out hunting with my father and one of his friends from work. His name was Frank, who was a lot more experienced with hunting than we were. It was an archery javelina hunt nearby to Crown King if anyone's interested. So we got pretty lucky coming up on a squadron of javelina as we were driving out to our campsite. So we stalked them for a little bit and Frank managed to get a shot on one but lost it in the bush after following a blood trail for a few hours. After our failed attempt of searching we made our way back to our designated campsite, set up camp and it was around 3 in the afternoon so we decided to just call it a day at that point. That night, I lay in my sleeping bag with my father as Frank slept in a separate tent next to ours. It was a quiet night, which was to be expected, since the deserts of Arizona are usually very quiet. When I woke up around what I would assume to be like one in the morning, hearing walking around our tent, figuring that it was maybe just a javelina or maybe even a deer, I just laid there listening and waiting for it to go away. But one sound absolutely broke the silence though and scared the crap out of me because clear as day, right outside of our tent, you could hear a loud back, like someone saying the word back. It was aggressive and it caught the attention of my father who stayed quiet. The silence resumed again and maybe like 40 seconds later, almost like a recording on a tape recorder, we heard it again. In different circumstances, we would have walked out to see what was going on, but everything was just way too quiet. There was no struggle like a guy fighting a man or an animal, just this person yelling back. 
This continued for maybe another five minutes, with him occasionally yelling again, but soon the yells got quieter and we knew the man had walked away. I didn't sleep at all the rest of the night and just kind of laid there in silence looking at the zipper to our sleeping bag, half expecting someone to start to unzip it. Thankfully, that never happened, but it had been an hour before someone finally broke the silence. It was my dad, and he said, what the fuck? We didn't leave the tent till we could clearly see the sun in the sky before we heard Frank exit his tent before saying the coast was clear, him obviously being awake from the whole incident too and he looked just as shaken up as we were. We started a fire and my father drank some coffee and we just stood there in silence, still trying to comprehend what we had just heard a few hours ago. Frank had finally piped up about it and he said, Well guys, I think I saw it. Thing had to be at least seven feet tall. Unlike our tent, Frank's tent was more for summer and made for a better bug net than a tent. You could clearly see out the top too, since it was nothing more than a visor, and that was how we saw it. After a little bit of thinking, we decided to end our hunt there, seeing how I was pretty shaken up by this, and I didn't really feel comfortable about being out there. A few years had passed, and I'm 18 at this point, and my family and Frank had gotten together to talk and just hang out. And it was at this point that... He told me something that he hadn't said on the trip, trying not to scare me that day. He said that when he saw it, its face was just pale white, like computer paper white, and it was at least seven or possibly eight feet tall. This happened at a large shopping centre in Adelaide, South Australia, a couple of months ago. But for some context too, it was around 7pm on a late trading night, already completely dark outside. So, I was shopping with my partner and she went into a clothing store, both to make some returns and also try on some replacement clothes. I knew that it was going to take a little bit of time and I'm not overly interested in women's clothing, so I stood outside in the very busy centre and was responding to some work emails on my phone, paying very little attention to all of the people walking past. After about five minutes, I was approached by a fairly young-looking gentleman, early to mid-twenties at most, I'm 23 myself, with a very strong European accent, possibly French, who said to me something along the lines of, you were with a girl, yes, she was looking for you, she came up to me, I think, because we are wearing similar shirts and thought you were me. Thinking back at it, other than buttons on our shirts, they were not really similar at all. But he told me that he was trying to find me and made it seem like something was wrong and insisted that he could show me where she went. I looked into the store and couldn't see my partner. It was a fairly small clothing store inside the center. You could see all of it from outside in fact. I found out later too that she was just in a changing room. But I was extremely confused at the time. My partner knows that I would just be aimlessly pacing in circles outside as I do when I'm reading emails and would never walk off looking for me, not to mention that she could have just texted or called. Although confused, he was moving away fast enough that I didn't have time to ask many questions and not being able to see my partner convinced me to at least follow where he was going. There had to have been hundreds of people around so I wasn't very worried for my own well-being. And as I followed the gentleman, I was leaving a good two or so meters between us, walking behind. I don't remember feeling overly unsafe or concerned about being near him. 
just extremely confused and kind of unsure, I suppose. He could see that and kept repeating something along the lines of, this isn't a joke, please believe me, I want to help, come with me, she went this way, I saw where she went. We'd only been walking for about 10 seconds at this point, but covering a fair bit of distance from the store that I was originally at, I said something like, where was she going, what did she say to you? And he told me, sorry, my English isn't very good, she's this way. We kept walking like this for another 10 seconds before we reached the doors to the building. We were on a side of the center that has doors leading to both a car park and a large loading dock for one of the supermarkets. Although busy in the center, there was almost no one around the doors going in or out. And he walked straight outside and said something along the lines of, she was sitting just on this bench, I don't know where she went. Other than a small bit of light under the cover where a bench is, it was completely dark as soon as you walked any further away. I walked up to the point where the automatic doors opened, but no further and looked, one foot outside, one foot inside. And he said something like, she must have walked this way, come, I'll help you find her. And started to walk left, which only leads to a, a dark and secluded loading dock, not visible from the doors. You could tell the urgency that he was trying to convey to follow him now though, and I was already very confused and unsure up until that point, but as soon as it happened... I knew that whatever he wanted me to follow him down there for wasn't going to be good. It was one of those moments where you piece it all together finally and realized how many warning signs you somewhat noticed but ignored and I instantly felt like I was in danger. I remember saying, uh, all good, thank you, I'll call her and just turning straight around and walking back inside. I turned around after a few seconds and couldn't see him outside anymore. Although it felt like a long time, all of this must have transpired in about uh, maybe 45 seconds from when he first started talking to me. And it was at this point that I texted my partner who let me know that she was still at the same store that I last saw her at. At the time, I said to her that I think I may have almost been abducted. A bit over the top, I know, especially for a fairly large 20-year-old bloke like I am. I'm assuming, though, that if I'd gone down there... I was probably going to get robbed. I'm glad though that I'll hopefully never know. I went straight to center security though and I did report it. They took some details of where and when it happened but didn't seem overly concerned. But anyway, be careful out there guys because you just never know who may cross your path one day. This story took place in Texas back in the fall of 1994. I was traveling from a small town outside of Dallas called Grapevine and was heading to my duty station. And I would never take this route again after what happened this night along the I-20. So I was traveling alone and had left at around 7pm on my road trip across Texas. If you've ever been to Texas then you know that you can drive for hours on end and still be in Texas. And this story would change my life forever. So I decided to stop at a rest stop along the highway to stretch my legs and take a piss. I noticed a woman in a late 70s model Ford parked in the lot when I got out. I went and did my business, had a smoke, and before I left I noticed the woman still sitting in her car. So I walked over and knocked on the window, which did startle her and asked if she was okay or needed help. She smiled and said that her tire was flat and that her battery had died while she was waiting here. 
I asked if she had a spare tire and she said no. I asked if anyone was coming to get her and she said that her daughter was supposed to but it's been several hours of just her waiting there. I asked where she was going and she told me the location so I offered to give her a ride if she wanted. She actually started crying and said that this would be wonderful. So we start heading to the location and we're making small talk. I told her that I was in the Air Force and heading to Lubbock. She said that that was wonderful and hoped that I really enjoyed it. I did notice though that she kept looking in the mirror so I asked if she was okay with me giving her a ride. She smiled and said that everything was fine. She was just happy that somebody had stopped. We finally get to her house in a small suburb just outside of town. She thanks me for a ride and hands me a scrap of paper with a home number on it. And she asks that I call her when I get to my destination so she can know that I made it safely. I thanked her and said that I would but I'd wait until the morning since I knew that it was going to be late when I arrived. I arrived at Reese AFB late that night and stayed at the on-base hotel. I got checked in and took a shower and eventually I just went to bed. The next morning I got up and I got dressed for the day and went to find my unit HQ. I didn't even think about the night before because I had so much to do, checking squared away and whatnot, and it wouldn't be for another two weeks before I came across that scrap of paper with the number. I kind of felt bad that I hadn't kept my promise to call, so I decided to stop what I was doing and just give her a call. I called the number and a young woman answered the phone, so I asked for Sandy. The woman on the line said, Who? So I apologized and said, maybe it was Sandra. She asked who this was and I gave her my name and explained that I had given her a ride a couple of weeks back. She said that I must be confused and I read the number off of the paper in my hand just in case I dialed the wrong number. She said no, I had the correct number but I couldn't give her mother a ride home because she had passed away in the early 80s. She was apparently driving home and began having car troubles, so she stopped at a rest stop just outside of town. When she didn't make it home, her father became concerned, and it was at that time that there was a knock on their door, and two state troopers and local police officers were at the door. She said that a trooper saw the vehicle stopped at the rest stop and stopped to check it out. What he found and what she told me gave me chills. Her mother had been brutally sexually assaulted and her head was completely bashed in. Someone had slid her tires and disconnected her battery and the worst part was that she didn't die right away as there was bloody handprints on the window, steering wheel and shifter because she was trying to leave. The trooper said that they didn't have any suspects but there were times that certain motorcycle clubs would pass through at night. I described the car and what her mother looked like and what she was wearing as best as I could recall. She definitely didn't look old enough to have a daughter my age, but her daughter just started crying and asked that I not call back. A few days later, though, I received word to report to the squadron commander, so I headed over to our building. When I arrived, my captain called me into his office and began asking me questions about where I lived and when did I drive in and what route I took. I immediately knew that something was wrong and we then went into a briefing room where my CO and Texas Ranger and a state trooper were seated. I introduced myself and I took a seat. They began by asking the same questions my captain had previously asked and why I had called the number and spoke with the woman. I explained everything as clearly and in detail as possible. 
They then finished taking notes and the ranger asked who needed a smoke. So my CO excused himself and the captain, the two officers and myself stepped out back to the smoking area. And this was when the ranger informed me that he was the actual trooper who had found the car back in the early 80s and that the only reason he came out today was because of the details that I mentioned in my phone call to the daughter. The trooper said that they do get calls about a stranded woman every so often, but when they get there, they never find anything. So, in closing, I guess you need to be careful who you decide to help because not everyone is what they seem. I'd like to state too that the reason specific time frames are not given is due to the personal nature of some of these events, but I can assure you that everything I've told you is true. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So this happened years and years ago and I was young, but I've asked my grandma about this incident recently. My grandma is a big road rager and likes to cuss and flip off and pull around people all the time. It's gotten better in her later years, but this was in 2014, I think. My grandma didn't tell my grandpa and I this story until it actually happened. So before we get into that though, here's some background about how I knew the mum and the kids. The mum was really sweet and I was in her son's class in elementary and I walked past her all the time on the way to the buses while she was waiting for my classmate. I also had daycare with all three of the kids and I can't say that I met her boyfriend or ever saw him since I was young and I was in my own world playing with friends but once in a while just walking past her she asked if I knew where my classmate was since he was running late and I stood next to her and played with the youngest while she waited until I almost missed the bus. Anyway, back to the incident. So, my grandma is a big road rager, and on her way back from work mostly because of rush hour, she was going around a roundabout, about the only one in our town and pretty new, and a car behind her kept honking and riding on her bumper. 
She finally got sick of it because she was focused on trying to get around this new roundabout while having someone on her bumper and honked her horn for a few seconds while at a stop and flipped the car off. She watches this guy in the mirror as he gets out of the car and cracks his knuckles while speed walking up to her. He's cussing her out and she recognized the look on his face from past incidences with not too nice men. She was on her own though and her car required her to manually lock the doors and trunk and roll up her window. She basically said, screw this and sped around the stopped cars in front of her, which was really dangerous because of just how narrow it was, and just got off the roundabout. A month later though, they're watching the news while I'm in my room, and my grandparents start talking. It was a small house and I could hear them at least muttering. My grandpa yells for me, so I get up and I go back to the room. Hey, don't you know little Johnny from school? My grandpa asked and I nodded, feeling confused and wondering if something happened to him. My grandpa plays the news story and he says, Do you know his mum? And the news told the whole story of how the man strangled her to death and posted the pictures on 4chan and the caption that, If you don't believe me, watch the Washington News Channel at about so and so hours. Her son will be home then. It was the oldest son that discovered her nude and dead and I had a few interactions with him before because of daycare and whatnot and honestly my entire heart just hurts thinking about it. My grandma sat up when they showed the boyfriend's face and she realized it. That was the man in the car behind her and I mean he even looked recognizable to me as well probably because it's just a small town and I may have seen him at some stage. But she told us the whole story and even just thinking about it sent shivers up my spine. He could have been slowly breaking just then and that's why he raged out like he did. I'm just really happy that my grandma got out of that roundabout when she did. I'm not saying that he would have killed her or anything like that. Just that he was already a woman beater and dangerous so who's to say that he wouldn't have at least hurt her. I did talk to all three boys at one point or another that year when I would find their Instagrams. I don't think that I talked to the eldest though, but I tried to get in contact with just no luck. My classmate really didn't want to talk about it, but I tried my best to console him out of doing stuff. I don't want to put in too much detail about the kids, just for respect for them. But the youngest ran a whole account for his mum and would post just about the same picture every time that he was missing her and I think he even wrote a book about it, although he was only eight at the time. I have no idea where they are five years later, but I don't think they're in PO anymore. But let me finish by saying this. The mum, she was really sweet and her boys were good kids. None of them deserved it and I hope that that guy rots in hell. So I was about 16 years old and at that time very interested in ghosts, paranormal things and stuff like that. My mum is, uh, I wouldn't say uh, a medium or anything, but highly esoteric and can see things in and around other humans. For example, she can feel bad energies and also describe dead loved ones of her customers standing beside her perfectly. And if you want to hear stories of my mum, just let me know. But her being so sensitive of those things did wake my interest even more. So I went online and researched on ways to communicate with spirits and energies and whatnot and found out a way to do so. I invited my sister and two of her neighbor's kids to help and watch. I didn't want to do that alone because of obvious reasons. 
but we waited for my mother to leave because she prohibited specifically to ever communicate with the other world. But we wrote letters and numbers and also yes and no on a paper, cropped them out and arranged them in a circle. But we basically crafted a Ouija board. We lowered the shutters in my room. Yes, we did that in my room. Stupid, I know. And lit candles and placed them in different places in my room. Me and my sister placed our hands on a, an upside down drinking glass and the neighbor's kids watched from the bed. The first few times they laughed and chuckled when we said phrases like, is someone here who wants to talk with us or if you want to communicate please do that. But after a few minutes, a few of the candles started to flicker and I didn't think too much about it because, I mean, candles do flicker. But after some more time, some of them really started to freak me out. They started to look like someone trying to blow them out in fact. You know like when you want to blow out candles but don't use enough air so you just blow the flame in one direction? They looked a lot like that. And then the glass started moving. I looked at my sister and she looked at me simultaneously asking if the other one was pushing it. We both got really freaked out so we took our hands off of the glass and that freaking thing moved all by itself. I got a panic attack and we all screamed and ran to my door to get out, but we had actually closed it before we got in. In hindsight, it was a very stupid idea, but I pressed the handle of my door down, but it just didn't move, not an inch. My sister and the neighbor kids started to help pressing it down and we leaned on it with all of our body weight, all combined, but it just didn't move an inch. And then the candles started to go out and we just screamed and screamed and eventually it opened and we ran into the kitchen in a corner and we just huddled together and cried. After that we eventually calmed down and things kind of went back to normal. From that day on I never slept well in that room too because I just felt watched all the time and my writing desk chair started moving on its own as well. I placed it under the desk and the next morning it stood a good meter away from it. My mum also noticed that my room just didn't feel right, like something lurks inside of it and asked me if I did something stupid. Eventually I told her and she was furious saying that I could have brought much more evil in our apartment than a spirit that amuses itself by disturbing us. She said a ritual in my room saying a few phrases and putting a protective circle around it and smoking it out with sage and whatnot and after that I was never disturbed by it again. Nevertheless though, I won't be doing that again. I was in the kitchen the night before last, washing up some plates from dinner, when I glanced out the window in front of the sink and I saw someone standing at the far end of my yard. From what I could tell, it looked like a man of average build with a scruffy appearance. He was essentially behind my neighbor's tool shed, which is right on the border of my property, and so I thought that he might be somebody that they knew. It was dark though and he was quite a distance away so I couldn't really see what he was doing. His back was mostly turned to me as well but by his movement it looked like he was patting the ground with a shovel as if he'd just buried something and was covering it up with dirt. This definitely raised my suspicions a bit and so I called my neighbors to ask if they were aware that there was someone behind their shed. They said that they were not and the husband went outside to investigate. I saw my neighbor open his door and the man saw or heard it and bolted off into the woods. 
I went outside to meet my neighbour and see if there was evidence of what the man had been doing, so we both arrive at the same spot and I tell the neighbour that the man fled and the neighbour says that he saw him running away. We look down at the ground and there is indeed fresh dirt where someone was digging. The neighbour gets the shovel which the man dropped when he ran off and starts digging it back up, nervously because we were both expecting something gruesome, no doubt. However, what we dug up has left us with more questions than answers. It was a plastic bag with something softball-sized and heavy inside. We dump out the contents and it's a, a rock painted red and a, a small smiley face button on it. The kind you pin on your shirt. And why would somebody be out trespassing on someone's property in order to bury a painted rock and a button? And yes, it's definitely pain on the rock, not blood. It's not a murder weapon as far as we can tell. But still, the neighbours and I reported it to local law enforcement and they came and they took a statement. They took the rock and the button too, just in case it turns out to be connected with a crime. Now, the whole ordeal has me a bit on edge to be honest, but why else would someone bury something like that in the dark? The police combed the woods last night too and they did come across something which makes this whole thing even more unnerving. They found a spot about a mile behind our homes in the woods where it appears that someone may have been living. I live in a pretty small town in a more rural area and a lot of people here hunt deer and turkeys and the like. The spot that they discovered apparently had been an old lean-to type shelter that had been used at one point for hunting but probably had been abandoned for a while when whoever found it and decided to live there. In the spot there were some old blankets, a recently used fire pit someone had made and a few other things like food and wrappers and plastic plates and a small cooking pot. There was also something though that freaked my neighbour and I out quite a bit. The guy had a portable kerosene heater unit and... It was the exact portable kerosene heater that went missing from my neighbor's shed almost a year ago. So at this point, we believe this guy has been living there for quite some time. However, no one in the area has reported to have seen anyone like him around or had any other incidences so far, but police are still in the process of talking to the other neighbors in the area. It does appear that he's left the spot at this point, but there's no being certain that he won't return. In the meantime, I'm staying at my sister's in a neighbouring town and my neighbours are staying with their adult children. My neighbour and I are going with the police escort back to our homes to set up security cameras and the like later today as well. I really don't want to go anywhere near there tonight, but it might be the only hope that we have of catching this guy and putting everyone's minds at ease. The police are taking this matter pretty seriously as well because many years ago we had a case of a homeless man in the woods who attempted to abduct a young woman... So between that and being a small town, this sort of thing really rattles us a lot. They're trying to track down the film used for the camera, or where it came from rather, but they suspect that it may be an older camera and film, and if the man was homeless, it's likely that he just found it. As for the cause of death for the kitten that they found, they're running tests as we speak, but the vet's initial thought is that it looks like it was poisoned. This doesn't necessarily mean that it was killed intentionally. It could have just accidentally eaten something that someone set out as bait for rodents and whatnot. And the man could have just found it that way. Who knows? But it definitely hadn't been dead long when the man had it because rigor mortis had not yet set in at the time. 
Meanwhile too, the whole neighborhood is aware and have been alerted by authorities to be wary and keep their eyes peeled for anything or anyone suspicious. The police do believe that they may actually have a lead as well. A man fitting the general description of our guy is actually pretty familiar to the local gas station convenience store clerk and as soon as the clerk heard about the incidences he called the police to tell them about the guy. I also paid the clerk a visit this afternoon on my way back to my sister's house after installing cameras at my neighbor's and my own residence and I spoke with him personally. It seems the man would often come into the store to use their can and bottle return and the clerk believed that that's how the guy was making his living, by picking up bottles and cans out of people's trash and recycling and then returning them for change. The clerk says that the man told him his name was Robert and went by the nickname Robbie. The clerk believes that Robbie does have mental health problems by the way that he acts and some of the things that he says as well. It appears he suffers from paranoid delusions maybe. The clerk said that usually he only ever spoke in short sentences when spoken to and never made eye contact. However, the clerk overheard the man rambling and mumbling to himself while returning cans one day, repeating something over and over about cleaning the dirty, dirty water where all the people keep bleeding. Aside from that rather highly unnerving detail, the clerk said that Robbie seemed pretty much harmless. But here's something that definitely puts a bit of a twist into the story and may put your minds a little at ease, though not much, about what happened to the kitten. So, the store clerk said that maybe two or three weeks prior to my initial encounter, the man Robbie had come to the store with some bags of cans and bottles. He also had a kitten with him. It fits the description of the one that we found. The kitten seemed healthy but a little too skinny and the man said that he'd found it in the woods and thought that it was a stray. He asked the clerk to look after the kitten for a few minutes while he returned cans and afterwards he purchased a small bag of dry cat food and a hot dog and cola for himself with the change. The clerk says the man seemed to really care for the kitten and even said, he's my friend, and when the clerk asked him the cat's name, the man said that he was still thinking of one, but he thought that he might call him Frankie. But then he said something else that was definitely unnerving. The little babies, like Frankie, like kittens... Though it is possible that he meant that kittens are like little babies and not that babies like kittens. I don't know. It's worded creepily either way. So now the police and myself are thinking this quite probably is a, a homeless, mentally ill man and the kitten was in fact his pet. The tests have come back that the kitten had rat poison in his system so we think someone in the area left rodent poison out in some food to bait raccoons. We have a serious raccoon problem here. They often get into the trash and make huge messes. The kitten probably wandered off in search of food and found the poison bait. They ate it and died, unfortunately. The man probably thought that it was me and or my neighbor who had poisoned the cat for whatever reason. Maybe the location he discovered it deceased was near us or maybe he thought that it was on purpose because he had previously buried things in our yard, which we don't have any explanation for the first items yet. But I assure you that we are not the type of people to leave poison out for innocent animals to find. We have pets of our own, in fact. However, we know that uh, a lot of people do bait and poison the raccoons here. Either way, I think it's possible this guy might not have been doing anything truly malicious the first time when he buried the rock in the pin, but the second time, it's possible that he was angry and did mean to threaten us, because he thinks that we killed his only friend and beloved pet. But 
That's just speculation and nothing is set in stone at this time. I'll close by saying this though. Even though this is still a very serious and frightening situation and he is still considered highly dangerous, mostly to myself and my neighbours because he may try to do more to take revenge for what he thinks that we did, I'm also incredibly heartbroken for this man if that indeed was his pet kitten. I honestly cannot blame him for his actions if he truly is mentally ill and mostly harmless as well. If that is indeed the case as well, I do hope that they find him and get him somewhere where he can get some help. Police are still questioning local shop owners and other citizens in the area for further information. They're also searching missing persons databases to see if anyone has reported anyone fitting Robbie's description as missing within recent years to see if they can identify him and figure out possible current whereabouts. And until then, I'll continue to stay with my sister and my neighbours with their family for as long as I can, just to be out of harm's way. The newly installed security cameras have night vision and motion sensors as well, and they're active in recording. And so, I'll keep you guys posted. This happened to me a couple of years ago when my now husband and I were living in a townhouse in a pretty decent area. My husband was working third shift as a corrections officer at our local corrections facility and I was working as a waitress or a bartender. It was an unusually warm night for mid-March so I took advantage and decided to take my husband's 80 pound Alaskan Malamute Siberian Husky mix on a quick walk around the neighborhood near our complex. We get to the end of the street that leads into the complex that we live in and across the street is a marathon gas station. I notice as the dog, Luke, stops to relieve himself and there's a guy across the street at the gas station with a case of beer in his hands. I have my phone out, texting a friend and looked back up to notice the guy was near the stop sign, also relieving himself on the sign. I felt really awkward and instantly put my phone away and I led Luke down the street on our path. At this point, I think this guy noticed us too and he crossed the street to where Luke and I had just been. I hear him walking a few feet behind me and just keep my head down staring at my phone with Luke glued to my hip. After about 10 seconds, I hear this guy's steps getting closer. Luke realizes too that there's someone behind us and he stops in his tracks. Mind you, he is a big dog compared to my 5'2 self but I can handle him pretty easily and he's very well trained by my husband but I noticed his ears were perked up and his tail was straight up. I was glad that he was aware of the surroundings, but I still wanted to keep moving and away from this guy. I don't know, I just got a weird feeling. This guy finally catches up though, so I tighten my grip on Luke's leash and pull him closer to me and step into the grass to allow this guy to pass us and keep Luke out of his way. But does this guy keep going and pass us? No. When I thought that he was about to pass us, I started out a small apology because Luke was pulling on his leash, a little to investigate this guy, and most people did get intimidated by him just by his size. Like I said, he's a pretty big dog in my opinion, but the guy stops and just kind of stares at me for a minute, long enough for me to smell the cigarettes and the booze rolling off of him and to notice that he's probably in his mid to late 20s, dark hair, scruffy looking and just kind of really dirty. He smiles though and then finally seems to notice Luke trying to get to him and asks, cute dog, what's his name? Instead of making up a name, I just said Luke. 
He then proceeds to ask me if he can pet my dog and before I can even give him an answer, he leans down to start petting Luke's head and Luke did not like that one bit. Luke jumped at him as a warning and the guy backed up, kind of chuckling. I apologized and mentioned that he was very protective and made up a lie that he was trained as my dad's former canine unit. My dad is a software developer by the way. But instantly I saw this guy's face change. I don't know what to call it but he looked a little bit put off by that. He asked me what my name was and I gave him a fake one. He then asked if I lived around here and I said that I was visiting a friend of mine for the weekend. He then made a sudden step towards me and I'm not lying when I say that I have never heard my husband's dog growl in the five years that I've been with him but the sound that came from my dog sounded like something straight out of a horror film. Luke's hair was spiking on his spine now and he was throwing himself up on his back legs and kicking his front legs at this guy. He had put himself completely between myself and the guy and was now snapping at him. This freaked the dude out so much that he stumbled backward, nearly dropping his beer. He quickly said, Well, have a nice night, cutie. And then just stumbled off down the road. When I say my heart was pounding, it was deafening and I grabbed Luke's leash so hard and sprinted between the buildings until I got back to my townhouse and locked all the doors and collapsed by the front door. Luke was in my face the whole time kissing me and whining. This dog is the sweetest and most gentle creature that I've ever met and hearing him growl and seeing him react the way that he did made me realize that I needed to get out of that situation and fast. Back in the 80s, my parents bought a camping trailer and every summer, my family, mum, dad and two brothers, we would all go camping. Often a few of my cousins and aunt would also tag along. Sometimes it would be a weekend trip and other times we would stay for a week at a time. Most camping trips were up in NH. It was so much fun and for most of my childhood, nothing really crazy happened at all. But one morning, I woke up and noticed that my cousin or best friend was sleeping in the same bunk as me. I didn't think much about it, but as I pushed her to let her know that I was getting up, she said, Are you really awake this time? I said, Yeah, to her strange question and went to the front of the camper to get a drink. My mum and aunt were sitting outside the camper having coffee, and when I went out to say good morning, they said, Come talk to us. I walked outside and could tell that my mum looked upset like she'd been crying. My aunt was a bit shaky as she asked, Do you remember what happened last night? I shook my head no and listened as my aunt told me about the extremely strange night, which I do not recall whatsoever. My aunt explained that at about 2am she woke up to the door to the camper being wide open. She quickly checked the bunks and noticed that I was nowhere to be found. She woke up my mum and dad and then my mum and dad got flashlights and started frantically searching for me outside around the immediate area. My aunt stayed behind because there were still four kids sleeping in the camper and after a scary 10 minute search, my dad finally spotted me. I walked out of the camper and into the trees about 30 feet away. It was far enough that I could not be seen unless he walked into the trees a bit and I was just standing out there in the dark with my eyes completely open but not responding to him at all. 
I had no shoes, no flashlight, and was wearing just shorts and a t-shirt. He said that he grabbed my hand and started walking me back to the camp, and he remembers asking me, Hey, what's going on? Why in the world would you come out here on your own like that? Then, I finally spoke up and said, I need to wait here, Dad. Let's just stay here. My mum remembers that I then started crying as she and my dad let me go back to the camp. Whenever I think back to this story, I, I get a strange feeling too. Thank God that my aunt woke up when she did. It's important to know too that I've never been known to sleepwalk before or after that night since then. It truly was a, an isolated incident which could have had a very different ending had I not been so lucky. My mum was so upset too that she decided to get rid of that trailer and we didn't do much camping after that night. So I used to be naively helpful to all sorts of strangers and even often picked up hitchhikers, solo and in groups, and get them where they needed to go. When I was 19, I moved to Huntington, a college town in West Virginia and I worked at a popular bar at the time. My shifts would start around 9pm and end at about 2am. I didn't really know anybody in this town or state even, and I'd been there on my own for only a month or so at this stage. So on one of these nights, one of the customers had taken an interest in conversing with me while I was working my shift. Me, being a good employee, conversed pleasantly back... He was in his 30s or 40s, buzzed white hair with a group of other guys, all of them tattooed with leather jackets. Nothing against leather or tattoos, I have and wear both in fact, just giving a visual detail. Now, he'd been there going back and forth between them at their table and me at the bar, pretty much talking to me non-stop for a good couple of hours. Around 1.30am he mentions that he doesn't know where his friends went. I look up, oblivious, and see the whole bar had virtually cleared out. He was right though, not one of his buddies was in sight. He says that they must have all gotten drunk and just forgot about him, leaving him there. The man is clearly bummed and quite concerned because, as he tells me, he lives almost an hour away from here and has no way of getting home now, and it's the middle of winter so it's snowing pretty hard. He spends the next few minutes on the phone calling different friends that were at the bar with him but no one is answering. He's pretty clearly screwed and I can't leave him in the bar. I can't in good conscience leave the man out in the snow either. So, fuck. Now I've got to drive this stranger home in a place that I'm unfamiliar with, in conditions that I've never really driven in before. No snow in my home state. I tell him don't worry though and when I finish clearing the bar and closing up, I'll take him home. And I do. We get in the car and he gives me directions as we go. We're talking casually like we had been for quite some time, just some superficial conversation, nothing even hinting at sexual or flirty. I'm not a flirty person at the best of times, so I'm positive that there was no misunderstanding here either. Keep in mind too, it's like 2 in the morning, no one knows where I am, all that I'm with this rando, and it's snowing heavily now. And as we're chatting, I suddenly feel this hand on the back of my neck. It was such an unpleasant feeling. It was truly such a, an unpleasant feeling. I remember his finger swirling in the little hairs at the bottom of my hairline, which were too short to make into sort of a ponytail. Ugh. I scrunched my neck though and just calmly said, I have a knife, as I kept looking forward driving. The swirling ceased, but the hand lingered on my skin. 
Again, calmly, but more firmly, I said, I have a knife. He removed his hand and we kept driving. I figured whatever that was is handled and we get back to our conversation. Minutes later, though, I feel his hand fully against the back of my neck again, his fingers wrapped gently around its curve. I scrunched my neck again and said, seriously, I have a knife. He removed his hand once more and then, in a very hurt tone, he said, are you really scared of me? After that, he kept his hands to himself and it was a long one-hour drive. But I did get him home and after that, I took off. I'm 29 now and... It wasn't until many years later did it occur to me the whole thing was probably a setup that he and his friends had planned. They probably left him stranded so that the chick that he's been talking to all night will have to take him home, opening the door for sex, consensual, or maybe not. I guess the moral of the story here is don't let people you don't know into your car. Oh, and uh, also, always carry a knife. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.